0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I want to uh, continue on where, uh, not exactly where I left off last week, uh, I want to go back and talk about something that uh, point that I made early on because there's something I want us to really get a hold of. And uh, then I'm going to go real quickly over what we did cover and then, and then add a couple of things to it. I want you to go in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. We were talking last week about finances and about exercising authority over what belongs to you in the financial realm. And uh, everybody knows that we are living... In uh, uh, an economic environment, the world we live in that is very troubled and is under strain, and and uh, you know, when you're a Christian, even though you have the promises of God, that doesn't take you out of this world. And the things that happen in the world can still affect you. Uh, that's why you need faith in God's word to protect you from those things and put you over those things. Isn't that right? And so uh, uh, it, it's essential that we learn what the Bible says to us about finances in this kind, kind of economy, uh, even more so maybe than in, in times when uh, there weren't these kinds of trouble uh, troubles in, in, you know, in the economic realm. So uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, says, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them, that is, mankind, So you can see from this scripture that when God created Adam and Eve, He gave to them and to mankind through them as the the parents of the human race. He gave mankind authority in this natural world over His creation. And we further read in Psalm uh, the 8th chapter, and we'll look at it again, the 8th Psalm. It uh, expounds on this a little bit. Uh, in verse number three, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, even the beast of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. So we found that when God created man, he gave him authority over the entire earth, over everything he created in it. And uh, Adam was, in effect, uh, the God of this world. He was, God had, had uh, even though God is the creator, and he... Uh, maintains creative authority, even though God owns everything, he made uh, Adam and Eve basically uh, uh, under shepherds, under him or under regents over the earth to uh, exercise the dominion of God in his place. He delegated that to Adam and Eve. Then, of course, we know that uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed God And they lost all of that. And they evidently at that time, when they disobeyed God by obeying the the temptation of the devil, of Satan, then Satan became the god of this world. Uh, He's called that in the New Testament. Paul calls him the god of this world. Jesus referred to him as the prince of this world. And when the devil was tempting Jesus, there in Matthew chapter 4... It says that he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said all of this, or actually Luke, I think it's Luke's chapter 4. He said all of this will I give you uh, for it's been delivered to me and I give it to whomsoever I will if you fall down and worship me. And so, you know, some people not knowing the Bible very well have, have said, and I've read commentaries on that, on that passage that said here, you know, the devil is offering something to Jesus that... Uh, that uh, he didn't have to offer, that Jesus already had the dominion and uh, in, in the kingdoms of the world and so forth. That's not true. If that was true, then this wasn't a valid temptation because it says that, that the devil tempted the Lord and that he withstood that temptation the way all of us withstand temptation by quoting the word of God, by showing the devil what the, what the word said instead of yielding to it. If, if it wasn't a bona fide uh, temptation, if Satan didn't have this authority over all of the kingdoms of the world, then he couldn't have offered it, it wouldn't have been a temptation, then the whole story is fraudulent. Isn't that right? It's nothing but a, but a, a fairy tale. It doesn't mean anything. No, it means exactly what it said, and if, and if Satan had not had the authority to convey that to Jesus, Jesus would have called him on it, but he didn't. Instead, he said that uh, it is written that you'll worship the Lord your God and in him only shall you serve. And so Jesus withstood that temptation. Now, I want to go back and and, uh, go over some of the other scriptures that we read in connection with this because it's really important that you get uh, an understanding and really a revelation from the Spirit of God about uh, the point that I'm making here. Go to to Psalms 24, verse number 1. Psalm 24, 1. We read this last week. Psalm twenty-four, one says, "The earth is the Lord's, and all its fullness." Now, this is true, even though God uh, handed over the authority of this earth to mankind. It's still God's by virtue of the fact that He's the Creator, and so it was. It was uh, loaned to. Uh, mankind for a period of time, there was a, uh, a lease, so to speak, that was given to mankind to operate for a period of time. But God, of course, is the is the ruler overall, and it says that the earth is the Lord and everything in it. And then in Math in uh, Psalm the fiftieth chapter, we have a like statement, a very similar statement, says the same thing. Psalm fifty, verse number ten. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all its fullness. We pointed out that this refers to wild animals and domestic animals. In other words, even the the cattle that uh, maybe your neighbor owns is still God's. Isn't that right? Everything belongs to the Lord, and he can move it around. Amen? Then uh, we saw in Genesis chapter 14. Go over there with me. Genesis chapter 14. And let's look at verse... Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Genesis 14. Abram said to the king of Sodom, this is verse uh, 22, I have raised my hand to the Lord God, the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. And that's the part that I wanted you to see. He referred to God as the possessor of heaven and earth. And then we looked at this passage and that's in uh, Haggai, the second chapter. If you can, that's in the Old Testament towards the uh, end of the Old Testament. If you can find Zechariah, it's a little bit larger book. Haggai is the book right before it. Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. Verse 6 says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations... And they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Now last week, I turned over; had you turn over to uh, the book of... Hebrews, where this verse is quoted in the New Testament, and and last week we won't go into all of this, but we presented the fuller context and and what it has to do with and what it's talking about, and we pointed out that uh, in the context, if you go back and and even read the the broader context here in the book of Haggai, uh, silver and gold's not really under discussion. He's talking about the temple, and there's the statement, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. And it seems to just to, to have been stuck in there. In other words, it's a statement. We know it wasn't stuck in there. We know that the Holy Spirit inspired uh, Haggai uh, to write these things, being a prophet. Uh, but it seems to be out of place. And so the only thing you can draw from that is that the silver and the gold is mentioned because it takes silver and gold to establish the work of God. It's talking about the temple and its glory and so forth. Not that it's the silver and gold that makes the temple glorious but that the glorious temple will involve finances and of course we know that we are the temple of God but the statement the silver is mine mine and the gold is mine says the Lord this statement stands on its own it's one of those places where you can take that verse out of its context and because uh, taking it out doesn't hinder the context because it 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 almost doesn't fit in the context. It doesn't seem to be uh, related to the context. And it's a statement that you can take out of its setting and it just stands on its on. You could, you, could uh, uh, you know, put a plaque and put it up, you know, in, in your bedroom and, and the, the Lord says the silver and the gold is mine. It's, it's one of those things that stands on its own. You know, there are a lot of places, a lot of scriptures you can't just take out of its setting and quote because the, uh, the idea conveyed on face value, if it's by, your, by itself, doesn't fit with the, with the idea that is in the larger context. But there are a lot of places in the scripture where you can take statements right out of their setting. It doesn't hurt the context. And it's true regardless of where the context is. And this is one of those places because it fits with what we've read about the world is the Lord's, the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. Well, the silver and gold's in it, so it's the Lord's. Isn't that Right? So the silver and the gold is mine. Now, the point that we were making last night that I, that I wanted everybody to get is that the silver and the gold of this world, which is the basis for the wealth of this world, belongs to God. He didn't put the silver and gold here for the devil and his crowd. He didn't put it here for unbelievers. It doesn't mean that unbelievers can't get it. That's clearly the, the, the case that they do uh, end up with a lot of it But the point is God didn't put it here For the ungodly To lay hold of it He put it here Primarily for his own children it, We are his children He is our, our God And our Father And so he wants us To exercise faith And to know that Whatever he has Is available to us You know it's, it's Regrettable that when you see a, a, a swanky, you know, car or a big old limo coming through town, everybody says, well, you know, the mob must have moved into town, must, have be, the, must be, you know, organized crime or, you know, must be a, uh, you know, a, a celebrated uh, uh, star, a rock star or, a, you know, a, a sports hero. People ought to look at that and say, well, those Christians just showed up. Now, I'm not saying that we should, it's our goal to live ostentatiously. That's not the point. But the point is that most people associate wealth with the ungodly. And unfortunately, Christians are guilty of that. And we should not associate necessarily wealth uh, uh, with the things of God in a carnal sense. In other words, the, the things of God should not be reduced to silver and gold, they're much more valuable than that. Scripture says that the wisdom of God and knowing God is much more valuable than rubies or silver or gold or anything you could acquire. So we understand that. But on, on the other hand, when believers have needs in their lives, we should understand that the silver and gold, the wealth of this world, is there for us. God intends for us to have whatever we need to fulfill his call on our life. Whatever it is that God expects us to do, we should have no problem doing We should not be hindered by finances. And that's true in any economy. And in, in, like I said, I, you know, so, sometimes I'll say, well, it doesn't matter what the economy is doing. And the natural mind, I know people sitting in the pew there's sometimes they say, well, you know, it, it does matter what the economy is doing because it's been really hard. Well, I'm not saying that we're not affected by the economy. We certainly can be, and it, and it creates a challenge for people. It creates a challenge for some people more than others. You know, there are some, there are some segments of the economy that are more sensitive to uh, recessionary pressures than others. There's some uh, sectors of the economy and, and so forth that seem to be almost uh, uh, immune to recession. Others are greatly affected by recession. Well, if you're in one of the, you know, if you have a job that's in a part of the economy that is, seems to be untouched by the, by the recession, then you're not going to have as difficult a time. You're, you might not have to use your faith as much. As someone who has been more affected, your job or your career or your uh, business is in an area that's been greatly affected by it. You're going to have to use your faith more. But I'm telling you, the the person on the other side who doesn't think they have to use their faith—that's the time to be building your faith, because things can turn. This world can change. And, and so when I say it doesn't matter what the economy is or what, what happens in the economy, what I mean by that is it doesn't matter in terms of what is available to you from God. You can be just as successful and and be just as prosperous in any economy, no matter what your job is. God can give you a new job and give you a new business. He can show you how to capitalize uh, in any economy. You know, in any economy, whether it's recession, inflation, whatever's going on, some people are getting richer and some people are getting poorer. God doesn't want you to be in the getting poorer boat. He wants you to be in the getting richer boat. Amen, he wants, now now, it's not all about well. not indicating that Christianity is all about being rich. No, but Christianity is about being unfettered and uh, unhindered in this world as you go about doing your business, obeying God, living a godly life that God wants you to overcome and to not be uh, hampered and hindered by finances. Amen? Now, says the silver and the gold is mine. Go with me over to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, the 8th chapter. and Let's start in verse number 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now remember uh, verse number 15 because we're going to find it again. Uh, You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption By whom, referring to the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Children of God and sons of God uh, mean the same thing. There's not any distinction between being a child of God and a son of God. Uh, And if children, it says in verse 17, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. Now, a lot of times people don't like to quote the last part of that verse, but it doesn't bother me at all because anyone who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There is uh, suffering associated with uh, with living for God, but poverty is not one of those because it says if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Well, Jesus never suffered lack. In an earlier lesson, I went into great detail to show that the uh, prevailing tradition in the church and in the world about the Lord Jesus is that he was a humble, poor, destitute type person. And we showed from the scripture uh, numerous uh, uh, pieces of evidence from the scripture that Clearly, show that that's not true. Jesus was not poor. He never suffered lack material, financial, spiritual, physical. He never suffered any kind of lack until he went to the cross. So, Jesus never suffered poverty, and he's certainly not suffering it now. So, poverty is not one of the things that we suffer with Jesus. We don't suffer sickness with Christ because he was never sick until he went to the cross. And he was raised from the dead. He's never been sick again. Amen. He took our sicknesses, but he dealt with them and put them away. So sickness and disease, defeat, is not something we suffer in union with Christ. He was never defeated in his life. Again, until he went to the cross, he suffered the uh, loss of everything. But in three days, he got it all back. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And so uh, you have to understand if indeed we suffer with him, uh, what kind of suffering it's talking about. It can only be talking about suffering, persecution. So the first part of the verse is not affected by the last part of the verse. The last, let me say it like, like this. The last part of the verse doesn't uh, mitigate or, or lessen the impact of the first part of the verse. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. See, if we're heirs of God then everything God owns is ours. Isn't that right? Well, if the silver and the gold is his and we're his heirs, then who does the silver and the gold belong to? You're kind of weak on that. Are you not sure about it? Who would that be? Us. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. Well, we're heirs of God. So the silver and the gold is ours. Whatever you need. Now, I, I, like, to, I like to upset religious traditions and, and, and I like to say things every now and then just to run all the religious devils out of the building. So we're gonna do that right now. I want everybody to say this. Just say, the silver and the gold is mine. Say it again. The silver and the gold is mine. mine. The silver and the gold is mine. mine. Now, is that that an accurate thing to say? Well, it's his, and you're his child, and you're his heir, then the silver and the gold is mine. We ought to get in a habit Now you don't necessarily want to do this all the time in front of people, you know, because people don't understand what you're talking about. You could easily see that somebody could get the idea that we're all about silver and gold, that we're just materialistic, that we're just, you know, just reaching for it. That's not that's not the point. We have to we have to say things. It's important to confess, to make bold confessions, and say things. That you believe in order to, to stimulate your faith and to act in your on your faith, because you see the world and tradition has for so long told the church that you know that nothing belongs to you, that you're just supposed to barely make it along. Well, we have a lot to overcome in the way we think, and so it's good for us. It's not necessarily good for others to hear, but it's good for us. Not that we're hiding anything, but it's, but it's intended to help us. It's good to say, the silver and the gold is mine. Whenever you get up in the morning and you're, and you're uh, facing the day and maybe there are needs in your life or you're contemplating a financial move or a financial uh, uh, operation of, of some kind, something that involves money and devolves, involves a demand on your finances, it's good to remind yourself, the silver and gold is mine. It belongs to my father and I'm his heir. The silver and the gold is mine. It's good to say it. Say it to yourself. Look yourself in the mirror and point your finger and say, just let me remind you, the silver and the gold is mine. Amen. Amen. Now, how, how is that? Generally, it's true. We would know because we're heirs of God. And so it makes sense that if, if he owns all the silver and the gold and we're his children then, and we're his heirs, then it's ours. But notice it says and if heirs and if children then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ now this is where it gets really interesting and gets really powerful joint heirs with Christ how did Christ become the heir of God was was Christ always the heir of God now remember That Christ is the New Testament equivalent to Messiah of the Old Testament. The Hebrew word that's translated Messiah and the Greek word in the New Testament that's translated Christ both mean the same thing. They mean the anointed one. And this is something that Jesus, this is the title that was conferred on him when he took on flesh. When he became A man, he became the one anointed to bring deliverance and redemption to the world. And uh, so let's go over to uh, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3. And let's start in verse number 26. We're going to come back and read earlier in the verse or or in this chapter. But Let's start for now in verse 26. Galatians 3 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Well, we know that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, Romans chapter 8, we're all sons of God. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, that is, Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, continuing on in chapter 4, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. This is talking about just natural uh, children and, and so forth. But as under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Notice Romans chapter 8 says that we are joint heirs with Christ. This says it a little differently, but it's saying the same thing. We are heirs of God through Christ. And in the verse 29 of chapter 3, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I want you to notice verse 28. Excuse, excuse, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong verse. Look at, at uh, 4, verse number 5 and 6. To redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, hold your place there and go back over to Romans chapter 8. You'll see how closely this is worded uh, to Romans chapter 8, verse number 15. For you, first Romans 8, 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In Galatians 4, verse number 6 Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son. He called it the spirit of adoption. That's the Holy Spirit. Into your heart crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son and an heir of God through Christ. Now, go with me back to Romans chapter 8 again. I want you to see that if, if you're children, verse number 17, then you are heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You see, it's our union with Christ that makes us an heir of God. And the reason that's important is Christ became the heir of God when he was raised from the dead. Now, we know this, that the Lord Jesus Christ, before he became a man, before he was born in the earth... He was the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in in John chapter one and some other places that everything that was made in this world, everything that was created was made by him. So the Lord Jesus was the the creator himself along with the Father and the the Holy Spirit. the, The three worked together in creation Everything was created by Christ and for Christ. But when Jesus came into the, into the earth, the Bible says in Philippians, and you know this is true, that it says that he emptied himself when he came to this earth. That means he, he stripped himself of his prerogatives as God and was made in the likeness of men. It says here, we just read it, that he was born under the law. Now, when Jesus was here, he never had a need in his life. In other words, he, he lived above want. He didn't have any want, any lack in his life. When we see that when he was just a, a, a young child, that people came to him and brought his family gold and, and, and precious things. So he was wealthy from, from a very early age. We see that uh, everywhere he went, he had enough money uh, to conduct the ministry of uh, the business of the ministry. We saw that he had a treasurer and that they regularly gave money to the poor. Well, you don't do that if you don't have excess. We see also that uh, there was a time whenever his disciples came to him and said, It's tax time. What are we going to do? He said, Go fishing. And they went fishing and did what he said, cast in the, the, you know, the, the net, brought up the first fish. He said, open its mouth. There was a gold coin in it. He said, there, go pay your taxes. We get the idea sometimes that when we, when we see the, the prosperity of Jesus, we get the idea that he did all of that because he was the son of God. But Jesus did that as the son of man. Now, he was the son of God. Remember when the angel appeared to Mary, said you're going to have a, a child, you're going to have you uh, conceive and 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 give birth to a, a son. He'll be called you know the 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 Most High God. And she said, I'm a virgin girl. Where you know how how can this happen? And the angel explained to her that the power of God, the power of the highest, the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. Therefore. As a result of this immaculate conception, as a result of the Holy Spirit uh, overshadowing her, that holy one that would be born would be called the Son of God. See, he was the Son of God by virtue of the divine seed. He didn't have a human father. God was his father. The Holy Spirit uh, overshadowed Mary, and so there was a miracle of conception So in that sense, Jesus was the son of God. And if you just look at it as the son of God, you only get part of the picture. As the son of God, and as God, he could perform miracles. He could could instruct fish to have, you know, to go swim around and pick up a coin. I mean, he he could do anything as God. But he wasn't just... Here, By virtue of the Holy Spirit He also came through Mary He was born of a woman And because of that He was also the son of man In fact The gospels refer to him And Jesus referred to himself As the son of man Way more than he referred to himself As the son of God He very rarely talked about The fact that he was God now, he did talk about God being his father, but he referred to himself as the son of man. Jesus came here as a, and, and submitted to life as a man. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, they had dominion over this earth. That would include the gold and the silver, all of the resources of this earth. When Adam and Eve sinned, Satan became the god of this world. So since that time, no one uh, up until Christ had any authority in the natural realm because that authority and dominion over over nature and over the resources of the earth had been transferred to the devil. So nobody had that, just inherently as being a, a, a human being. When Christ came, we have the idea sometimes that because he was God, that he could perform miracles and and uh, he, could, he, 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 he could he took authority over finances he was never in lack because he was God because he was sinless well he was sinless and he wasn't under Satan's dominion remember when Jesus talked about uh, the devil he said the prince of this world is coming and he has nothing in me he had no claim on Jesus because Jesus never sinned therefore he wasn't he wasn't under his uh, thumb. The devil wasn't his lord or his master. But on the other hand, as a man, he came here with all of the limitations as man. One of those limitations as, as a man would be that he didn't automatically have authority over nature. He didn't automatically have authority over money. And yet we see him standing in the bow of a boat and speaking to the storm, saying, hush storm just quieted down we see him casting out devils healing the sick walking on the water turning water into wine we see him you know bringing money out of fish's mouth and 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 we think well you know that was because he's god no that he he didn't do that as god it says that he was born of a woman born under the law if you go back and look at the old testament there were people in the old testament did things like that they did things just as miraculous. people in the old testament raised the dead parted the Red Sea. Isn't that right? I, I mean stopped the sun at midday for several hours. And on one occasion even even turned the sundial back. Not too shabby miracles. Well, how did they do that? They, they were meant, each one of those prophets, each one of those people that, that were able to do it, some were, most were prophets, some were just judges in Israel. They did it even though they were unregenerate men. Every one of them were unregenerate. They were unsaved. Every one of them were spiritually dead. Every one of them were under the thumb of the devil, so to speak. I mean, the the devil had been given authority in this world and all all of those people that we see in the Old Testament did those great things. They didn't have the authority you have. They didn't have it. How did they do what they did? They did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And those were miraculous things that, that they were able to do because the Holy Spirit came upon them and empowered them and gave them authority on the, on the uh, you know, just on, 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 on the uh, uh, right, right, right then, right when they needed, on the spur of the moment is what I was trying to say. The, the, the authority they, that they needed to accomplish that thing came and then that anointed lift, anointing lifted off of them. Moses and and Joshua didn't continue to go back to the Red Sea and say, let's do that again. That was (laughs) fun." They did that as the Spirit of God enabled them to do. Well, Jesus did what he did the same way. See, what I'm trying to get across to you is that Jesus, when he was here, operated as a man who inherently, as a human being, did not have authority uh, over nature. He didn't uh, uh, inherently... Uh, have authority on the financial realm he didn't have authority over sickness and disease inherently in himself cuz he lay he, as god he would have that but remember he stripped himself he emptied himself of all of that so when he exercised authority over the sick over raising people from the dead, when, when he turned water into wine, when he walked on the water, when he, when he calmed the storm in the, a, a, at sea, he did that by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. As a prophet of God, under the law, under the Old Testament, he was, he was uh, uh, circumcised the eighth day, he submitted, he even told uh, John the Baptist, baptize me, it, it, it's necessary for me for me to fulfill all of these things. He did what he did, Not because he was God, but because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. But when he went to the cross and then was raised from the dead, he took back the authority that mankind had lost. He took it back from the devil. And because we are in union with him, that authority has been transferred back to us. So you and I do inherently have authority in the financial realm, authority over sickness and disease. We don't have to have a special unction of the Spirit in order to take authority over sickness in our bodies. Now, we don't have the right to dominate other people because because other people's wills are involved. And if they're Christians, they have authority themselves and God expects them to use it. And if they're unsaved, they're not even in our kingdom anyway. And authority hasn't been restored to them. But authority has been restored to you in the same way that Adam had it in the beginning. So even though gifts of the Spirit operate as the Spirit will, sometimes gifts of the Spirit are in operation. And I might lay hands on someone And by an anointing of the Holy Spirit, by by the gifts of healings or special faith or something like that, I might minister by the Spirit. That's a separate thing than me exercising my own authority over my own life. Very few preachers uh, have ever recorded the gifts of the Spirit working for them in their own life. They've never worked for me. In other words, I don't don't have a special anointing when I'm sick. The gifts of healings don't operate in me to heal myself. They operate in me to to minister to somebody as the Spirit will, just like they would have under the old covenant, just like they did under Jesus' ministry. But where where I'm concerned in my life, in my daily life, I can exercise authority over the devil. I can exercise authority over over nature. It just depends on my faith. I have the authority. I talked last week, you know, about exercising authority over, over uh, angry dogs and bad dogs when I would go into people's yards. I went there to, to share Christ with somebody. These dogs, and you know, are gnarly, you know, with their, with their teeth, you know, all flared out, you know. And, and uh, we learned just take authority over that. And, we, and, 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 it, and it worked. I have authority just like you do over my own body, sickness and disease. Well, I have authority in the financial realm and it's inherent in me now. Because it's something that Jesus inherited. Here's the thing I want you to see. Jesus didn't have that during his 33 years. He didn't have that inherent authority. He exercised authority by the gifts of the Spirit. He he came as a man under the law as one who didn't have that authority. As one who who didn't have uh, uh, authority in, in the natural realm. So he was able to exercise it by the gifts of the Spirit. But when he was raised from the dead, he became the heir of everything that God promised to Adam, I mean, to, to Abraham. Let's go to, uh, where, where are you at now? Romans? Go back to uh Galatians. <clears throat> Look at uh, 3.29. If you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What promise is that? See, this, this being an heir, it's, it's still talking about the same kind of, of, of heir. The heir that we are. the heir of, We're the heir of God and joint heirs with Jesus. It's talking about the same thing. But it's it's... We're heirs according to a promise made to Abraham. Well, if you go back, let's look at verse number 16, same chapter. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Notice that promises is the word there is plural. It's it's referring to more than one promise. God promised Abraham uh, a lot of things. One, God promised him that he would uh, uh, inherit all of the land of Canaan, that he and his, his, his seed after him, his descendants, you know, would, this, this would be their land. Uh, one thing he inherited was wealth, prosperity. Go over to Genesis chapter, hold your place there, go over to Genesis chapter twenty. Look at Genesis 24 verse 1 Now Abraham was old Well advanced in age And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things And then go over to verse 35 His servant gave this testimony of his master the Lord has blessed my master, referring to Abraham. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. And he, God, has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female donkeys and cam uh, uh, servants. I'm sorry, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. Well, that would seem a uh, uh, to naturally follow since all the camels and donkeys are God's. He had plenty to give, didn't he? (laughs) But notice, he gave him, he blessed him in all things, including silver and gold. So that's that's, prosperity is part of the blessing that God gave Abraham. Now go back to, to Galatians 3. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. So there were more than just one promise when you, when you go down to verse 29 and it says, if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, that the word promise there is singular, but in, in that promise is incorporated all of the things that God promised Abraham. They're all part of the promise. There's actually many different facets of it concerning health, concerning wealth, concerning dominion, See, God really made a promise to Abraham, but he was really making a promise to Christ. When God promised these things to Abraham, he was looking through Abraham. He was looking down through the stream of his direct descendants all the way down to the time of Christ. And that's who the promise was really made to. It was made to Christ through Abraham. Can you see that? Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as to one and to your seed, who is Christ. So everything that, that God promised and blessed Abraham with, he walked in, in some of it. He didn't walk in all of it, the fullness of it, but he, he walked in, in a measure of all of this But the the person who was really to be heir of this was Christ. Now go over to, uh, hold your place here, go back to Romans chapter four. Romans chapter four. Look at verse number 13. Talking about Abraham, but also to his seed. Romans 4.13 For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not made to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. God made a promise to Abraham that he would be the heir of the world. But really that promise was made to Christ. Christ. Well, why would Christ need a promise of being made the heir of the world? Wasn't he already the creator? He was. The Lord Jesus Christ, before before, uh, man ever showed up, he created everything that's created, the entire universe, it was all created by him. Why would he need to then become the heir? (laughs) What, What would happen that would make him need to become the heir? He was born as a, as a baby in Bethlehem and he took on flesh. And when he did that, he stepped down. He, he never ceased to be God, of course, but he stepped down from that high and holy, matchless state and, and the prerogatives that belong to him as God. He emptied himself of all of that and stepped into the lowly nature of a human being who, and, 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 Gave up, he gave up the ownership of all things. He gave up authority over, he created it. But now he's here as the son of man. And he doesn't have that authority anymore. He could get it back if he just said, I'm not going to do this anymore anymore. But he willingly submitted to the plan of God. And as the son of man, he operated here as someone who didn't have the inherent authority over everything. He had the gifts of the Spirit operating in his life. So he could minister by the power of the Spirit whenever he needed to. But but the point is, you you remember Jesus? Uh, He was on on the way to Samaria and... uh, you know, he had the encounter with, with uh, uh, the woman that came out to the well. It says that he was wearied with his journey. And he sat by the, by the side of the well waiting for somebody, you know, to come. He was weary with his journey. That's one of the most striking and remarkable pictures of all of the Bible, is of God being weary. I mean, he was tired. Whew. He had walked a long ways, he was hot, he was thirsty. See, he, he took on the, the characteristics of, of man with, its, with man's limitations. But in the realm of, of authority, unless the Holy Spirit manifested, he couldn't just indiscriminately go, you know, pulling money out of fish's mouths. He couldn't just indiscriminately uh, perform miracles and turn wa- water into wine. I mean, he could have just spoken to the rock and had water come out of it. He didn't need, he had to wait for somebody to come draw water out of the well. See, so he couldn't, that's what, that's what the devil tried to get Jesus to do. He tried to get him to use his, uh, his uh, uh, prerogatives as God. If you're the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. If you're the son of God, then jump off of this tower. Because it says the angels. See, so he tried to get Jesus to operate that way, but Jesus knew better than that. And he didn't, and he didn't, he didn't violate that, any time in his life, he operated as, as a man. He did that because he was in the company of the human race that had lost that through Adam. He was here to get it back. See, he, he was heir of all things by being creator, but he gave that up. And so what, what God saw is when he made a promise to, to Abraham that he would be the heir of the world, He made the promise to him and to his seed, which was Christ. When Jesus fulfilled the plan of God, he was raised from the dead, he appeared to the disciples and said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Now, you know that's something that that didn't exist before because otherwise, why proclaim it now? There There would be nothing to proclaim I mean, if Brother Doug came in here tonight and said, Oh, I want you to know, I have a house sitting on a such and such a place. And it, uh, I just want you to know, I got it now. Well, he's had that house. How long have you been living there? 15 years? No, Jesus made the, procl- the proclamation, and it was a powerful proclamation. It, it, it signaled something new. That hadn't existed before. He said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. He didn't operate under all authority when he was here. He operated by the authority of the Holy Spirit and the anointing that that came as the Spirit willed. But what he got back was all that Adam lost. He became the heir of all things. In other words, everything in the world now belongs to Christ. Not only by virtue of his being the creator but by virtue of his being the seed of Abraham and the one who walked in the covenant without flaw. The one who completed, who dotted every I, crossed every T, did everything that God was requiring of man and he accomplished it and by his deeds, by his life here on the earth, he became the heir of all things. Glory to God. But when he became the heir of all things, it said, and his seed, that Abraham would be heir of all things. He said that to Abraham and to his seed. Well, th- we're the seed because we're, we're in Christ. Can you understand that? See, there's a reason why we can, we can boldly say the silver and the gold is mine. There's a, reason that, there's a reason we can say it, and it goes beyond just this would be enough If this was all there was to it, that because it's God's and we're his children, you know, uh, children give things to their, to their, to their parents. I mean, to the parents give things to their kids, but you know, everything I have, my kids can't have, (laughs) or I wouldn't have anything. Isn't that right? I mean, you know, my kids can come in my my house and they can, and they can get anything they want, but at some point I'm going to say, hold it. Now hold it, hold it, son. You know, leave a little bit for daddy here. Isn't that right? So there's a blessing and there's one level of understanding that we're heirs of God and, and, and because we're his children. But there's another whole level when you see that we're joint heirs with Jesus who is the rightful heir now, not only by creator, but because of his life and what he accomplished in his in his holy life, his death, burial, and resurrection, his conquering of, of the enemy, uh, his putting away of sin on our behalf, of accomplishing redemption for us, he became the heir of all things and we're joint heirs with him. That's, that's the more profound reason why I can say the silver and the gold is mine. It's mine because Jesus got it for me. It's mine because it belongs to him. And if it's his, he's, he, I'm a joint heir with him. A co-heir with him. He intends for me to have it. So in this economy, is this important? You bet it's important. Get up every day and remind yourself. I'm reminding myself and I'm going to remind the devil. The silver and the gold is mine. And, 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 and whatever I need for, for me to accomplish God's will for my life, now I'm not I'm not I'm not suggesting that Christians should live like I said ostentatiously or or you know an opulent unreasonable lifestyle. But I, I am saying we should prosper. We should have plenty. We should have enough to meet all of our good and 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 uh, acceptable and honorable needs, and plenty to help others. And that does not be that does not mean being under the barrel. It does not mean you know uh, just barely making it. Uh, from one day to another it means prospering Jesus won it he took it back praise God he took the silver and the gold back from the devil belongs to us well amen praise God does that help you well you can stand praise the Lord hallelujah thank you father glory to God 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 thank you Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Hallelujah, help us, Father. Help us to be good stewards of all that's been entrusted to us. Glory to God. Father, to use it for your glory, hallelujah, to establish your covenant in this earth. We thank you for it. Glory to God. The silver and the gold is ours.